Here's something that Stephen Calabresi and Sai Prakash said in 1994. Originalists do not give priority to the plain dictionary meaning of the Constitution's text because they like grammar more than history. They give priori priority to it because they believe that it, and it alone, is law. The meaning of the text is law. That's a claim about the content of law and what makes the law what it is. The law is identical to or fully determined by some communicative content of the text. That claim has been repeated in various forms by a whole bunch of originalists. And it is striking, I think, because it contrasts with what their foils and their opponents say, at least on the surface of the discourse. On the surface of the discourse of non-originalists, uh, they're making claims about what judges should do. Judges ought to pay attention to this and then not, not pay attention to that. Or they ought to pay attention to a whole bunch of things. Those are claims that I describe as prescriptive. They're claims about what certain sorts of people should do, as opposed to the claim that I just uh, read from Calabresi and, and Sai Prakash, which is a, what I call a constitutive claim, a claim about what the law is. And I take that seriously. So I think that that is, in a sense, a game-changing type of claim that, uh, that Sai and, and Steve Calabresi made. I'm not claiming this was the first place it was said. I just use this as representative. But uh, Scalia also, although his views on this were ambiguous or ambivalent, sometimes they pointed to a prescriptive theory, sometimes to a constitutive theory. In many places, he as well seemed to be making a claim about what the law is. And Steve Smith has written that he takes that to be the center of gravity of contemporary originalism, not everyone's view, but the center of gravity is the idea that the law is what the text says. So this paper is an attempt to address that seriously. Uh, it claims that that's false as a jurisprudential matter. Uh, that I think that's fairly implausible, frankly. It's not plausible as a general claim about law, that generally speaking, law just is the communicative content of an authoritative text. No general jurisprudence thinks that's true. There are lots of historical counterexamples, although there's, a, of course, a big question of what would establish that it is a counterexample. Uh, so I talk about that in the paper. I think that it's not plausible as a general jurisprudential theory. So then it could be a truth about our legal system as a contingent matter. So it could be, for example, if we're Hardians, if Hart is giving us the correct account of law generally, then if we had a recognitional practice which, which pointed to just the communicative content of the text as the sole determinant of the law, then this constitutive claim of originalism would be true as a contingent matter. I think that it's fairly clear that it's not the case that our recognitional practices establish that the sole determinant of the content of law is the original public meaning of the text. Even those who uh, have pressed the positive turn don't claim that under a Hartian account of our system, the law is fully determined by the original public meaning of the text. <clears throat> so if that's not the right view, what is the right view? 
In the paper, I give you the, I give you the right view. Uh, <laughs> so the view, very simply, is as a general matter about systems of normativity, artificial systems of normativity. Artificial here is just really meant to rule out morality, prudence, rationality, morality as robust realists take morality to be. So most of our normative systems are artificial. That doesn't mean that they are entirely contingent, that they could take any form at all. I just mean to rule out those sorts of normative systems which some people think have some content, the content of which is determined by the nature of things. That's what I mean to rule out when I describe artificial systems of practical normativity. There are lots of artificial systems of practical normativity. Fashion, etiquette, prescriptive grammar, the rules of games and sports, and legal systems. So my account is intended to show a commonality among all these systems. And the view, very simply, is that upper-level norms of these systems, the, the norms that we conventionally call rules that direct, are fairly determinate in their conduct guidance function, are determined by, metaphysically determined by, are given the contents they have, are made what they are by, the complex interaction of lower-level norms of that system that I call principles. Things like, in our constitutional law system, federalism or separation of powers or liberty. These are just gestures, of course, to what the principles are. The principles are going to be rather more nuanced and complicated and subtle than that. But I'm just giving labels right now to gesture to the sorts of things that I have in mind. And my claim is that the principles are metaphysically determined, grounded in, they exist in virtue of social facts. Facts about human behaviors, actions, discussions, criticisms, uh, mental phenomena, etc. So the principles are grounded in, are determined by these social facts. What are the details of this grounding relationship? Heck if I know. I mean, it's really, really complicated, really complicated to figure out how, so, how social norms of any sort, of any type of normative system, are derived from, metaphysically, these social facts. But even though it's complicated, we should have a high degree of confidence that it's true. Because we do believe there are rules of fashion and rules of etiquette and rules of grammar, and we don't think that they just are writ into the nature of the universe, we do think, I think most of us are positivists about fashion rules or prescriptive grammar or sports or games. So somehow we can have confidence, I think, that there is a relationship, uh, that there is this metaphysical grounding relationship between these low-level norms of a system and social facts. And then what I want to say is we can also conceive of a relationship. There's a, plausible, a very plausible metaphysical relationship between these low-level norms and the rules, the determinate rules. And there I analogize to vector addition, the idea being that norms are either are or are analogizable to forces. We speak of norms as favoring, pushing in favor, uh, like reasons. Most of the language about reasons also is suggestive of forces. So we understand how forces can combine. So I want to, I want to, uh, incorporate or help myself 
to this idea of force combination to show how also principles can determine rules. This is just an analogy. I'm not saying that it's just like the way I present in the paper. Of course it's not just like the way I present in the paper. This is a very substantial simplification just to give a sense of how the model can work and be plausible. And then the, what's the cash value or what are useful implications of this? Well, one is the system is dynamic by its nature. There's just nothing in the nature of things that can fix, fix inescapably, uh, what are these principles, then what are the rules, because the entire system is ultimately grounded upon social facts. When I say ultimately grounded upon social facts, of course, that's not truly ultimate. Ultimately, ultimately, it's grounded upon the ultimate physical determinants of the universe. Right? But in the same way that, that biology is grounded in chemistry, yes, ultimately, ultimately, it's grounded in the ultimate physical facts of the universe. So it's dynamic by its nature. In order to understand what the law is then, we have to understand what our principles are at this given moment in time. And we also need to know something about the mechanism and the mechanics of the interaction. By, I'm simplifying to just assume or suggest that they interact by vector addition. I say in a footnote in a later draft, not the one you have, that actually it's rather more complicated than that. It could be that they interact by vector multiplication. And it could be that some of these uh, principles have a multiplying or a defeating or an enabling effect, for those of you who are familiar with that type of literature, that type of discussion from practical reasoning. So I don't want to rule that out. And it could be, then, that some types of originalism that uh, give a greater force to the original public meaning of the text or the original legal intentions of the framers disable other sorts of principles. I don't think that's correct, but nothing about my account rules that out. So those of us, you, you folks out there who are much more originalist than I, could get a lot of what you want from my account. You can't get all of it, but you can get a lot of what you want from my account. And then we would just be making the arguments. We would have to argue uh, with a sophisticated sociology of our legal system to try to get to some agreement about what are our principles and what are the meta principles or the rules of interaction. But they are going to be dynamic and it is a mistake to think that there is anything in the nature of things that can fix them once and for all. That's really what I want to insist upon. The last thing I'll, I'll say is I was really quite struck by the last uh, panel in, in many ways. Uh, I was very struck by this discussion about the implications of Michael's view for federalism. Might it be the case then that on this really sophisticated, rigorous investigation into the original legal intentions or purposes, might it be the case that actually Congress can do everything? This was the, the worry that worry or hope that, that <laughs> Tom and Richard were pressing. And the discussion was on the level of gosh, that seems terrible. Many people in this room think that can't be right. So therefore, that leads us to worry about the correctness of Michael's historical account. Whereas I would say, no, regardless of the facts about the late 18th century, here's something we, that is true about our system right now. It is a true principle of our constitutional law that Congress can't do everything.
So there you get what you anti-federalists or states' rights folks want, not because you have to be hostage to the correct output of a particular historical inquiry, but because you probably are and are warranted in being far more confident that it is a true principle of our system circa 2017 that Congress can't do everything than you are warranted in believing any particular fact about the particular intentions or original public meanings of the text at that time. <laughs>